Okay, we are going to get started with uh, Adult Sunday School right away here. If you are still grabbing a seat, please come do that. We, uh, we want to make sure we've got time for our material today and hopefully some time for questions as well. So we're going we're gonna to get going, going right away. Thanks, Zane. Um, what I want to start with here is just a brief recap of where we've been. So we're, we're on our fourth week now in this class called Connected, Wisdom for a Wired Age. And uh, where we've been began, or where, where we began, started with a, a, just a broad overview of, of technology and the story of the Bible, how technology is just connected to the creation mandate, subduing and filling the earth. Uh, technology isn't something we need to be all freaked out about. Uh, some of, again, some of what Jordan was responding to that first week is, you know, every time there's a new technological discovery, some people are thinking, oh my goodness, is, is, is this finally the end of the world? And, and and, and no, technology happens within the, the, the sphere of God's sovereignty, uh, within the world that God has made. We, uh, the, a way to think about technology is we're, we're playing in a sandbox that God has built. Now, we can still do some pretty wicked things with that sand, but it's God's sand and it's God's sandbox. Uh, it, that, that statement I made there a moment ago, though, is really important. We can do some pretty wicked things with the sand in that sandbox. And, uh, and so um, that tends to be some of what, um, what we need to think about a little bit more carefully. So the, the second week of the class, we, we looked at media communication and talked about this idea that the medium is the message, or rather the, uh, the medium shapes the message. How we say things impacts what we are saying. And so if we say a serious thing in a goofy way, we're actually saying something goofy. And, and we looked at how that, how that applies to technology, that, that if certain technologies shape their messages in some really important ways. And so we can't just be naive, and we can't just think, oh, we got a good message, let's just get it out there any way possible. Okay, that, that, that's a big mistake that, that many Christians have made in the last n- number of decades. We got a good message. Whatever means we use, whatever medium, doesn't matter. Just get the message out there. And that's not wise because the medium shapes the message. And technology has an effect on what we actually are able to say. So we looked at some of the implications of that. Last week, I interviewed Dr. Joel Houston, who is uh, a pr- the associate professor, uh, or is it assistant professor? I, I forget the difference. Anyways, he is a, uh, an A-word professor at, at uh, Briarcrest College and Seminary, and he has done a lot of thinking and, and uh, taught a course on, on this idea of technology, devices, human communication, embodiment. And so we had a great conversation. If you, if you missed it, check it out. It's on, on the website, on our podcast. And uh, see, we really aren't afraid of technology. We, we use it pretty generously. And, um, and so we talked about where, how a lot of this connects to the church. And uh, can you do church Virt- virtually is virtual church even a thing is it even a possibility uh is virtual worship even a reality um what's different about you and i talking over a texting conversation compared to face to face not only is the body language not there but are, are there other some important things missing uh, Joel doesn't think we should read the Bible on our phones. That was one of the one of the things that came out. That you might think, well, that's crazy. Uh, but but if 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 you do think that's crazy, go give a listen. I think he makes a really good case. Now I'll, I'll be honest here, and I, I didn't say this last week. I'd say this to him. I'm not I'm not about to go delete the Bible app off my phone. 
However, I think he made a really strong case that for the majority of our serious Bible reading, something that's not our phones or our iPads is probably a really good a really good choice to make. Um, and like we said last week, how many of you, how many of us have gone to read the Bible on our phones or our iPads and, oh, look, a notification, and, oh, I'll just, I'll just look at it quickly first, and then brrr, we're down the rabbit hole and we ran out of time to read the Bible. So uh, not that that's ever happened to me. Um, but, but anyways, really good things. I'm summing it up here. Uh, I really encourage you to, to keep track of, of these, um, these, these discussions. This is really important. Now, now here we are into our fourth week, and uh, the title for today's talk is uh, "Don't Be the Product." And and what we're really talking about today is how the internet and especially social media actually works. Now, I, I, I feel like I need to make a bit of a disclaimer here at the beginning: is that um, we do adult Sunday school here so that we can talk about things that are not necessarily appropriate to talk about from the pulpit. And I don't, obviously, because they're not, not because they're inappropriate, but when, when, when one of us gets up to the pulpit to preach, we're opening the Bible, we're preaching what's there. That's, that's what we do. Um, but there are certain topics and certain things that are important for us to talk about that aren't necessarily going to come up in the regular course of just preaching through a book of the Bible, such as what we're going to talk about today. So today gets really specific and really practical. And so this is not a Bible lesson today. This is about helping you be wise in the way you think about how how the internet works. And today's lesson fits within a bigger... the bigger picture of biblical wisdom. It fits in with this class. But uh, I don't apologize for the fact that, that this gets really specific and really practical today because I think we need some of this specific and practical information in order to apply biblical wisdom. We're talking about how the internet actually works today because we need to know that in order to use it properly. So in my preparation for this class, I mean, I have a background in IT, and, and so um, the whole tech world is, is pretty, uh, pretty familiar to me. Um, but I also had the joy of preparing for this by sitting down and doing an interview with Cameron Leonard. Uh, many of you know Cameron. He's, he uh, worked for years at an agency in Toronto as a web developer. Uh, he's, he's one of the guys that makes the internet work. And so uh, he knows a lot. He's got a lot of experience. And so he was, was, uh, he was happy to, to, to share that experience with me. So I interviewed him. A bunch of the material comes from that. Uh, some of it also just comes from some of my own experience and my own, my own research. Um, it was actually a conversation with Cameron back in the fall that was really first the spark for this class. Uh, his concern that he sees family members and people um, not using the internet wisely and well because they don't actually know how it works and it's, and it's really affecting them. Uh, and, then, and then I started reading some stuff on, on the Gospel Coalition. They published an article called I Lost My Mom to Facebook. And uh, one of the statements in there, pastors need to be aware that every day of the week their church members are being instructed and most likely their mentor is an algorithm. And uh, you'll know what that means by the end of today's class if you don't already. Uh, but this was, that was also one of the things that, uh, that, that was a spark and an inspiration for this class. So let's start with the internet basics, okay? The internet is just a bunch of computers talking to each other. 
Okay, your iPhone or your Android phone. Uh, if if you're not privileged enough to have an iPhone, it's just uh, it's just a computer. Okay, a big server, a rack full of those servers you see in the pictures. It, they're just computers. It's just computers talking to each other. That's all it is. And whether you're using Safari or Chrome or Firefox as your browser, or you're using the Facebook app, or you're using the TikTok app, or YouTube on your phone or your computer, it's all just the same thing. You're using software to talk to another computer. That's, that, that, that's all that's, that, that's happening there. And um, that might seem obvious to you, but it's not, uh, not necessarily obvious to, 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 uh, to start there. Now, um, here's just the reality, is that um, if, if the internet is a bunch of computers talking to each other, um, then those computers uh, cost money and they need to be paid for. Okay? So if you think about an internet service, like uh, uh, let's not think of something as big as YouTube, but think of, uh, I don't know, what's a free internet service that, that, that people use these days? Just, just name one. This should not be difficult. Okay, Snapchat. Okay, so how much money does Snapchat cost to use? It costs nothing to use. Now, I'm going to actually argue with you later that it actually does cost a fair bit. But for Snapchat to work, you've got all these phones talking to a whole bunch of, of computers, big, giant computers called servers. Uh, that electricity bill is coming from somewhere. Those computers had to be bought for thousands of dollars or they're rented from another, from another provider. There's all that copper and the cabling. There's a lot of money there, Okay. So they need to pay for it somehow. And plus, uh, the people who are doing that are not doing it out of the goodness of their own heart. Uh, they're trying to earn, earn a, an income and make money. And uh, everything on the internet has to be paid for. Okay? This is one of the most important things I'm going to say today. It's just everything on the internet costs money and needs to be paid for. And it needs to be paid for somehow. Once you realize that, then, all, then you're not going to be able to be played so easily by realizing how the internet actually works. So um, most of so so ways that things are paid for on the internet. I, I thought of this up, and I, I thought of th- three main ways. First, uh, there are certain services where you pay to use them. Now, there's not many like that. Do, do any of you pay to use a service on the internet? Now, I don't mean like paying SaskTel to access the internet, but just like a website or something that you have a subscription with. Do any of you any of you pay for? What, so I want to give an example of something like that. Okay, so you pay Netflix some money to watch their stuff. Okay, uh, a- any Amazon Prime users here? Okay, so you pay Amazon some money to access Amazon Prime. Um, so that's a way that they make money off of subscription off of subscription fees. Uh, would you agree with me though that most of what we do in the internet we're not paying for? Most of it is quote unquote free. Now when it comes to the quote unquote free stuff, how are they paying for that? Um, well, I, no, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Uh, another way, okay, another way here that, that, that a company makes money through the internet is that you buy their products. So for example, with Amazon, you, you buy stuff from them. Uh, Etsy, okay, Etsy, you don't pay to use the Etsy website, but Etsy makes their money when you buy stuff off of Etsy. So there's like, there's like a storefront kind of website. They make money as you buy stuff from them. Um, now, the most common way of making money on the internet, though, the most common way is what? Advertisements. Now, which actually goes back to n- number two, is you're People are buying things, right? If, if no one actually bought stuff from advertisements, companies wouldn't advertise. 
But by and, by and large, the most common way of making money off the internet is advertisements. Okay, anyone want to take a guess at how much uh, Google is worth? Well, not Google. They're now their 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 company parent company is called Alphabet. How much money is Alphabet worth as of yesterday? Anyone want to take a random guess? A billion dollars. Okay, we got a billion. We heard trillions. Anyone else? Okay, $1.26 trillion. So that's 1,260,000, or 1,260 billion, okay? All of that money came from advertising. So people pay Google money to show ads on pages, okay? Um, Facebook, uh, this comes up later on. We'll talk about Facebook later uh, how, and how much they're worth. Um, so it's all, it's all through advertisements, okay? So, com- so co- co- websites make money through displaying advertisements. Therefore, those companies have a very strong interest in getting you to spend time on their websites so that they can show more ads because that's how they make money. So websites want you to spend time and to click on things and to view multiple pages because that's how, that's how they make money from, from their, their advertisers. And the word for that, the word for you spending time on the website is engagement. And whether that's time spent looking at something, whether that's links you clicked on, whether that's how many page views, it's engagement. Companies want to drive up engagement because then they show more ads and then that guy that's paying to advertise says, they say, oh, well, your ad showed a thousand times, so now you owe us this much money, and, and the money comes in. So uh, now it, it's interesting. In the old days, uh, uh, Cameron was explaining to me, hey, Cameron, I'm glad you're here. Um, I hope I don't misquote you. Uh, he was explaining how, how the main way that companies drove engagement was through email campaigns. Now, email campaigns have actually made a bit of a resurgence. Lots of websites today still do email campaigns. How many of you have had the experience where you go to a website and something pops up? Put in your email here for 15% off. Okay, so think about that. Uh, they're not giving you that 15% off out of the goodness of their heart. Okay, it's worth it to them to get your email address. That's going to pay for itself multiple times over because they can then send you targeted campaigns and messages and hook you and get you to click, oh, that's a good, I'm going to buy it. Oh, yeah, I didn't know I needed that. Now I'm going to buy it. And, and then you give them money, and that more than makes up for the 15% off that, that they were going to lose. And, and primarily in the, in the quote-unquote olden days before social media, smart email campaigns were the main way that companies drove engagement and still widely used today. Um, and... Uh, beyond this, let's just think about the way in which uh, websites and services are built, whether it's through that click here or put in your email address. Um, websites are, are built to hook us, to, to engage us. Uh, how many of you have ever been suckered in by clickbait? Okay, you know what I mean by clickbait, right? Never before seen pictures that will blow your mind with this thing. You're like, what is that? And you click on it, and then you see a page with something that's not what that thing is, and so you click next, and it's not what that thing is, and you click next, and it's still not what the thing is, but it's all really cool, and you get to the end, and you've clicked through 14 pages, and you still haven't seen that really cool thing that you wanted to see the first time, okay? It's called clickbait. Why 14 pages? Because each time the page comes up, they're making money off of all the advertisements that are on there, 
and they don't want to show you the thing you wanted to click on because they want you to go, well, it must be here somewhere, and to click somewhere else, and to click somewhere else, and to spend time on the, okay? So websites are, in many ways, are built to hook you, whether that's through things like clickbait, whether that's through things like email campaigns. Now, uh, where a lot of this applies and where we're going to spend more time talking here has to do with social media. Facebook is worth $295.41 billion. Okay? How much does it cost to use Facebook? Let's, your soul, says, says Jason. <laughs> uh, that's actually in their terms of service, yeah. By, by clicking next, you agree to give us your soul. And I'm not joking. Okay, uh, I actually am a little bit. Um, Facebook makes money the same way Google does, advertising, okay? So people pay ads on Facebook, and that's how, that's how they make $295 billion. That's how Mark Zuckerberg is one of the most rich, and not only rich, but powerful men in the world. Now, how, do, how does social media work to hook you and keep you coming back? And the way they do that is with algorithms, Okay, an algorithm. This is uh, a secondhand Merriam-Webster definition. An algorithm is a set of rules that a machine or a computer follows to achieve a particular goal. Okay, algorithm is a set of rules that, a, in this case, a computer follows to achieve a particular goal. Now, with social media, these algorithms are working in two main ways that are feeding into each other. So the, the, the second one I'm going to talk about first is called machine learning. How many of you have heard about machine learning? Okay. Uh, how many of you think that sounds a little bit scary? Like the computer is coming for you. Okay. Here's what machine learning basically means. Everything you do with a, a website, whether it's think of Facebook, YouTube, Google, Twitter, everything you do, they are keeping track of and learning from. Okay. So when you scroll through Facebook, they are able to keep track of what you're looking at, for how long, what you're clicking on, what videos you're watching, what parts of the videos more, more people are watching, how long you watch the video before you move on, uh, what material you engage with, what material you don't engage with. They're keeping track of all of it, and, and the machine is learning from it. And it's building a huge file of everything that you're doing with that particular website. Now, this is, don't confuse machine learning with artificial intelligence. Although artificial intelligence is getting used in these in these areas more more and more, um, it, it's only learning. So it's not like it's a it's not like it's a, a sentient being who's sitting there studying you because it thinks you're fascinating. Uh, it's it's doing what it's been programmed to do. It's been programmed to just look for everything that you do, and then and then the algorithms in there are analyzing patterns. What type of information does this person engage with? What type of stuff do they click the like button on? What type of stuff with on YouTube? Which videos are they watching? How long are they, are they watching them? What, what is it? What are they doing? And what are they what are they engaging with? And it's learning from that. And then the second half kicks in, okay, uh, which is kind of maybe the first part that we tend to engage with in terms of the algorithms, is it then shows you content that it knows you're going to want to see. And it knows what you want to see because it's been learning by all the things you've been clicking and doing and watching. So that's why when you go to YouTube, you go, yeah, I do want to watch that video right now. How did you know? Well, because it's been 
learning from everything that you've watched. There are billions of videos on YouTube. They've got a lot to choose from. And it's at the more you watch on YouTube, it's building up a pretty good sense of the kinds of things that are going to hook you in. So then it shows it to you. So you've probably had that experience where you've gone onto like a fresh computer and you've gone to YouTube and you thought, oh, I just, this looks strange. This looks dumb. I don't want to watch these because it doesn't know you yet. And so... Um, the, the websites, whether it's Facebook, whether it's YouTube, and this even applies to Google, okay? So if, if I were to go and search for something on Google right now, and you were to go search for something on Google, we would not get the same results. I don't know if you know that. Google shapes its search results based on where you are, your history, the other things you've looked at. It's not objective. It's, it's not, there's no such thing as a blank, pure slate with Google, even if you, they've done studies, they've done tests with this. Even if you go to a new computer and create a new uh, private mode uh, browser tab and do a search, and I do the same thing, we're going to get different results. Google thinks it knows what you want to see, and and the more you use it, especially if you're signed in, the stronger it, it builds it builds this up. And so that's why um, as you, sc- again, scroll through Facebook or Twitter or, or, or Google or YouTube or whatever it is, I'm including, even though Google's not social media, I'm including it in here. Um, it is constantly adapting the content it shows you based on what it knows about you from everything else that, that you've been doing. So these, these, so these are algorithms. This is what, when we talk about algorithms, this is, this is what we're talking about. The, about. Now, every social media platform does this, whether it's TikTok or, or whatever it is. They're all doing this. Different data, uh, but the algorithms are doing, are doing the same thing. Now, why do they do this? Well, it's win-win-win. It's a win for the platform. They benefit because they're making money off of this. Uh, it's a win for the, adver- the people who are advertising with them because they're making money off of this. And here's really where this all comes down. It benefits you because you get to see material that interests you and that you actually want to see. And so you keep coming back. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. And then you get you get cool stuff that you like seeing and you spend a few more hours there and everybody benefits some to the tune of 1.26 trillion. Um, now, here's one of the, the real, um, specifically with social media, one of, the, one of the, the real problems with all of this is the creation of, of what some have called digital echo chambers. How many of you have heard that phrase before? A digital echo chamber. Okay. So here's, here's, here's what it means. Um, if you, your, okay, your Facebook looks different than someone else's Facebook. And you might think, well, I have different friends and I follow different people. Yeah, yeah, but it's not just that. Uh, this is particularly more pronounced with Twitter. Uh, I don't know, are there any Twitter users here? Anyone? Yeah. See, our, our life is shaped by Twitter. A lot of what happens in the news and stuff these days is actually just people reporting on what people said on Twitter, which we'll talk about next week. Most of the news today isn't actually news. Uh, but but uh, but our social media um, universes. Okay, let's just think about it this way. Okay, let's say you are. Uh, this was most pronounced, Kate, in, in the past couple of elections in the states. Let's say you're a diehard Trump lover, and and on social media, you're 
uh, looking at videos and, and all of that and, and, and material that has to do with Trump this and Trump that and Trump this and Trump that. Well, well the social network knows this and then is going to continue to show you material about this and that's going to become what shapes your social, your social network is all of this material all about this kind of thing. They're not going to show you uh, 10 things Biden did great this year because they know that you're not going to want to watch that because that's just silly. And so this is the idea of an echo chamber, is that your your experience on the internet ends up being actually fairly niche to the types of things that interest you, and you almost never see anything from someone who thinks differently than you. And you go on the same on the other side. All the people who are like, you know, Trump is the worst, Biden is the best, they're, in time, they're going to be seeing things that are all shaped around those interests and those desires because the company is giving them information that aligns with the types of things that they think. Okay? Now, this is, this is the reason why public discourse in, in our world is more polarized than it ever has been. Uh, s- some of this material was referenced in a, in a documentary called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. You should pay for a month of Netflix just to watch The Social Dilemma. It's that good. And then cancel Netflix if you want after that. Um, but, but they looked at how, how, look at politically in the United States, how Republicans and Democrats have been getting more and more and more polarized. Polarized means they're moving further and further apart. So now the other, like if, if you're one of these people, you think the other group is not just, well, they've got a different political persuasion. You think they're the enemy and they're actually a terrorist organization. And, and these guys think that about you. Okay? It was not that case 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It was not that case. There actually was a fair bit of overlap. But the polarization as we move further and further apart is driven by these social media echo chambers. Because all we see on social media is material from people who think like us and it gets more and more self-referential and we're not exposed to anything outside of our, of our little bubble. Anything that would challenge us or make us think differently. Furthermore, these social media companies know that controversy drives engagement. We all get fired up by a good controversy. And so, and so the videos that tend to be more controversial get more plays and get you more interested. But they're not going to actually give a real uh, type of controversy like someone from the other side giving an impassioned defense for their position. It's going to be rather stuff to fire up the home base. Well, did you see what this guy said this week? I can't believe this. It's the end of the world. And everyone goes, oh my goodness, and they click on it and they share it and they like it, but all in this little circle. And so that's why it's interesting. If you look at Twitter, how you'll hear people use phrases like there's tech Twitter, there's right-wing Twitter, there's left-wing Twitter, there's even cultural Twitter, there's like black Twitter, and I'm sure there's Filipino Twitter, and, 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 and these groups of people that all they ever see and all they ever hear from is, is people who think like them because that's what the algorithms do. They're showing you information they know that you're going to like. And now, once in a while, the, the algorithms will throw in what we might call outliers to see if you're going to be interested in it. That's why every once in a while, you're going to be scrolling and be like, oh, that's kind of strange. But they're testing you. They want to see if you'll click on it. People can also pay to have content promoted. That, that, that's a big thing is you, people can pay to have certain articles uh, get more visibility and, and, and to, to really drive that up. But here's the idea. 
social media, which for many of us is, 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 a, is a good chunk of what we do on the internet, is algorithmically showing us content based on our desires. So we like what we see, but we only see what we like. And it's shaping public discourse as a result. So this is one of, one of the real... Um, one of the real dangers and just realities that we need to face today is is the fact that this is happening and this is how it works. So basically what I've described for you up until now, I've done, I've done my best to have almost little of my opinions in here as possible. This is just the facts, folks. This is just how the internet works. And it works this way because it works. They, they make, they make, they're making a killing off of it. And, and yet it is, it is affecting public discourse. It's affecting the way that we think about people and the way that we talk to people. And it goes back to that idea that I I shared from that Gospel Coalition article about a woman who lost her mom to Facebook. How over a period of a few years her mom started to believe stranger and stranger things and, and got less and less engaged in people in the real world and more and more just sucked into this online world that was wasn't real at all. And, and it's because the algorithms were showing her things that they knew she would like and it got more and more extreme and the vortex pulled her further and further down. Now, I got a, just a few more things <clears throat> here that I want to talk about before we just say, okay, how do we actually, uh, if this is true, how do we use the internet wisely? And, um, but, but there's a few other things here that we need to be aware of, uh, specifically with social media, the, uh, danger, some of the dangers that we need to watch out for. Okay, um, <clears throat> so I, I have three here that I'm going to talk about quickly. Uh, one, the first is dopamine. Okay, uh, what is dopamine? Anyone know what dopamine is? Sorry. Well, it's a it's a neurotransmitter. Okay, so it's a it's a chemical in your brain, and and when does dopamine show up? When do you get dopamine? So it, it's connected to happiness. It's connected to pleasure. It's specifically connected to a sense of reward. Okay. And dopamine, uh, it, it's connected to reward, it's connected to anticipation. Dopamine peaks right before you get something that you've been looking forward to. So, for example, they've done studies with people opening Christmas presents, and it's like, what's in there? Okay, dopamine's just like, but you know when it goes to the highest is right before you see what's inside. So it's, it's connected to that anticipation, that sense of, oh my goodness, what's in there? Okay, your, your brain is just drowning in dopamine. And then when you actually see it, you're like, oh, okay. How many of you have had that experience, right? Even if what you see is awesome, okay, like you ordered something off the internet and you know it's there and you know it's going to be so great that once you open the box, you're like, oh, I mean, it's what I wanted, but, uh, well, that's just because that, that's your brain off dopamine, okay? It's the brain coming down off of the dopamine high, okay? Here's the problem. Every time your device goes ding, What's your brain doing? Dopamine. Oh, what is it? Oh, did someone like my post? Oh, did I get a note from someone? Oh, is this? Oh, what's that? Oh, what's this? Okay. And, and um, one, of the, one of the ways, so when we talk about the social networks, social media hooking us, quite literally, quite literally, our brains, this, this is why we go back for more. Because our brains get hooked on that dopamine high of what's the next cool video what's the next thing oh what's that oh what's that oh what do they say oh do they like my post oh more pictures oh more of this oh more of that and your brain gets hooked on it dopamine is is the exact same 
Okay, so that dopamine thing that I'm describing here, that dopamine reaction, is the exact same neurological uh, function behind quote-unquote gambling addictions. Okay, so when people are addicted to gambling, it's the same thing. You pull the thing, oh, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be. It's the exact same thing. It's also the exact same, uh, at least according to, to some research, it's the exact same neurological basis for alcoholism. Okay, alcohol itself is not physically addictive, but the, the thrill of what's going to happen when I drown my sorrows in this next few bottles and just that, the, the, that pleasure reward thing, it's, it's dopamine. Okay? So essentially, social media is, from a neurological standpoint, is just as addictive as gambling and alcohol. Okay? So neurologically, it is. Now, uh, there are adults who are able to be wise with alcohol. Um, there are adults who are able to be wise with gambling. Now, I don't think Christians should gamble. Hear what I'm saying here. Okay? I, I don't think gambling is an option for, for Christians. But at, at least you hear what I'm saying, that there are, are unbelieving adults who are able to go play a couple of games and leave the casino. Okay? It, it's, it's possible. Um, but uh, we do have to be aware that, that, that there is this possibility here of getting hooked. Okay? Now... Let's say your let's say gambling wasn't a sin, and let's say you're able to do it and you're able to be responsible with it. Let's say you're able to enjoy a bit of alcohol once in a while and you're okay with it. Again, forget forget the moral implications of that here. Um, would you open up your alcohol cabinet and say to your 12 year old, "Here, uh, have some fun. Just just be careful, you know." Okay. So why in the world would we give a 12 year old a smartphone? This is one of the things I, I, I make no apologies for in this class here. Parents should not give their kids smartphones. We need to be absolutely um, un- unapologetic about the fact that these are really damaging. And until a child is mature enough to handle an alcohol cabinet, they're not mature enough to handle a smartphone. Okay? That's just science. This is not my opinion. It's just science. Because it's the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Until you're mature enough to handle alcohol... You're not mature enough to handle a phone. And, um, man, guys, I'm an adult, okay? I'm well through most of my 30s. I struggle with being self-controlled with the internet. I like learning stuff. I can spend a whole morning following links in Wikipedia because it's just fascinating. Yeah, I do want to know about that obscure global conflict back in the 1400s. Tell me more about it. Yeah, I do want to know how that machine that I just learned about exists. How does it work? Tell me more about it. And and so I have to be. I have to have like my phone's locked down. And when I when my when I shake those locks off my devices, it's not good. So if we as adults struggle with that, how much more? How much more? Um, those who are younger. Okay. So that that's the second thing we or that, that that we really gotta gotta be careful of. Let's talk more about us as adults. Um, I don't really have a good heading for this, but just here, here's this next heading. Why are we looking at all of this interesting stuff? Okay, I just shared one one possibility there, which is just general curiosity. But think about a lot of the things that we do on social media. Why are we doing it? Why are we looking at pictures of other people's lives? Other people's curated, happy, lovely wonderful lives, okay? Is it really helping us get to know them any better? Or is it just us 
feeling good that we know some things about them. And actually, how much of it is stirring up envy in us? Because like we all know you can make a you can make any little scene look perfect. You can, you know, take a, any, you know, arrange some things and do this and do that and take a picture, make your life just look great and share it. So like first of all, why are you doing that? What do you actually want? What's going on? I'm talking largely about Instagram here. Like, what's actually going on there? What's going on in your heart? And as we spend hours scrolling and looking at other people's pictures, what's, what's actually going on there? Okay? You need to ask that question. Any social media that you use, you need to ask the question, why am I doing this? What, what is the real world goal that I'm getting out of this? And, and, and I'm talking there not just real world, but biblically. Okay? We're going to be talking later on in the sermon this morning about, about how... We don't have a connection with Jesus and then a connection with this and then a connection with this. No, it's Jesus and everything falls through him. So why would Jesus have you scroll through Instagram? If you don't have an answer to that question, you shouldn't be doing it. This is just basic Christianity here, right? Like we don't do Jesus and some other things. Why would Jesus have you use Facebook? Now, you might have a good answer for that question. I started using Facebook a little bit more a year and a half ago to particularly connect with some family, some unbelieving family back in Ottawa. And, I, I, and, and, and yet that shaped what I did with Facebook, why I did it, how much I did it. Um, and actually over some time I came to realize this actually maybe isn't quite as fruitful as I thought. But, but we got to be deliberate with our, social, with our social media. Social media isn't just a thing that's there and people have pictures, so I gotta look at them. No, like, why? What's driving it? Is it envy? Is it escape and avoidance from the difficulties of our life? I wonder for how many people, Instagram, social media, it's their version of a cigarette. During a, a break, they, when they're just tired, it's just like, oh, give me something new. And then you get that little dopamine thing. Oh, nice pictures, pretty things. Oh, I wonder what they're up to. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just a drug. And we need to be really careful. Is it avoidance? Is it escape? Is it laziness? Again, we've already mentioned envy. Finally, let's think about last week's themes, how the medium is the message and how digital communication reshapes the type of, of interactions that we're actually able to have. Okay? Um, I have a rule for myself. So I use Facebook a little bit, but I have a rule. I will not engage in substantial dialogues and disagreements with people on Facebook. I might post a link on Facebook to something substantial that takes them out of Facebook to go spend time on an article. But you think of the medium as the message. Think of Facebook. As you scroll through Facebook, okay, you've got inspirational thought, angry news posts, cute picture of this, this, boom, boom, boom. It's like we talked about TV a couple weeks ago. Fast material coming at you with no context that you're just scrolling by, scrolling by, scrolling by. In that context, when you get like someone really like sharing their heart about something or giving you a real meaningful encouragement or trying to challenge you to change how you think about something, is the medium is the message. What is the format actually saying about that thing that you shared? So I, I had someone recently, they had like written something that was actually pretty good about preaching and expositional preaching and whatever. Like, I want to share this on Facebook. Should I do that? And they, they were asking my opinion. I said, no, what's going to happen? You're going to share that on Facebook and you're going to, in, in half an hour, you're going to get 40 angry comments because nobody goes to Facebook to seriously interact with important things and have their mind changed. If, if, if you know some people, he's like, well, there's some guys on Facebook that I think could really benefit from this. So I said, email it to them. 
So if you think they could benefit from it, send it to them in an email. Hi, so-and-so, I was thinking about you, and I wrote this up, and I thought you might find this interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Send. Do that. Or better, print it off and mail it to them if you really want them to read it. But the medium is the message. And some of these social media, so, social networks, by their very format, so quickly devolve into either angry debate or just, oh, that's a nice thought, next, 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 next. No time for thinking, no time for reflection. Because the very social network is built on not having time for thinking and reflecting. Because if you're thinking and reflecting on what you just read, you're not scrolling past more ads and making more money. The very fabric of the network works against careful thought because careful thought works against them making money. See what I'm saying here? So we gotta think about, about all of these things. So uh, I got like two minutes and then we'll actually have some time for some, some questions. Um, how should we respond to all of this? Th- specifically going back to, to algorithms, okay? Knowing that uh, social networks are trying to make money off of you, you're the product to them, they, they, they are not charging anything. If it's free, you're the product. They have a vested monetary interest in you viewing as much of their information as possible and them getting as much information from you as possible. Um, how do you actually use, do, use these things wisely? Well, we've, we've, we've shared some of this already. Know why you're using it. Know what you're doing. Have a game plan. Um, be deliberate. Be deliberate. Um, if you have something important to say, social media might not be the best way to share it. Okay, we've talked about that already. Um, don't fill up every free moment with internet scrolling. Don't, free, don't fill up every spare moment with content, as, as someone said that, that I uh, summed it up so well. You ever notice these days, like you, we don't live in a big city, but if you live in a city, you drive by a bus stop or you're waiting in line. Like how many people are just like standing there waiting in line just like looking around? It's actually almost kind of weird to see that, hey? But like what if you did that? You just looked around and maybe you'd start chatting with someone beside you. Like what's happening when all the time, every free moment we go to use the bathroom, you know, like and we're just, what's happening to our brains? Um, so, so think about that. Um, so, some, I have some privacy stuff, uh, some, some specific notes here. Um, Enable enhanced tracking protection on your browsers and all of your personal devices. Almost all of your personal devices in your browser settings, you're going to have a setting now for enhanced protection, which limits the amount of data that companies are able to get from you as you browse. It's a really good idea to do that. There's privacy-centered plugins that you can get for your browser. If you just look up privacy, um, you're going to find a lot. For most of my search searching on the internet, I don't use Google. I use DuckDuckGo because they don't track you. It's a privacy-centered search thing. Now, here's the thing. It's not as good as Google. Google gives better search results because it knows so much more about what you actually want to see. So I sometimes still use Google and actually more than I probably should. But DuckDuckGo uh, is a privacy-centered thing. There's some great tools. Um, you can use a virtual private network for accessing the internet so your data is more secure. Um, that's baked into most uh, newer iPhones with uh, iCloud Private Relay, which is like a VPN. There's, there's great options on, on all platforms. Um, from time to time, clear out your browser's cookies. 
Cookies are one of the ways that sites track you as you go from here to here to here and build information about you so they can make money off of you. And um, there's, so there's some really practical things that, that, that you can do. Um, watch the social dilemma, okay? Really worth watching. And then um, finally, if you want to read something great, the Gospel Coalition just published an ebook this past fall called Digital Discipleship. Um, it's actually hard to find the link on their website, but, but it's got just a bunch of great little articles. I'd be happy to send you a link, thegospelcoalition.org slash landing slash digital dash discipleship dash ebook is the address. I could send it to you. Great stuff for thinking about this stuff a little bit more. But uh, there's a lot of content there that I gave you this morning. I don't want you to be paranoid. I don't want you to be wise. And the internet, and, and particularly social media, these are some of the smartest minds in the world, the richest companies in the world, who are playing us. And we need to know that so we can uh, not get played. Um, I'm going to take a deep breath. Uh, anyone want to ask a question or two as we, as we get to the end of, of this class? Mm-hmm. Try to do the right thing with. Yeah, so um, it, it's I guess it, some of it's just the principle of the thing, but but what it means is that um, when I okay, so you've probably had that experience before where you've searched for something over here and then you're over on this website and you're seeing advertisements for that thing that you just searched. So that that's what's happening with the cookies and with the tracking and all of that. So turning that stuff off just allows you to uh, to use the internet in a bit more, we could say, of a randomized way where you're not getting stuff that's targeted at you all in those very specific ways. Um, and you're not allowing these companies to build up th- these huge data files on you. Um, there's been some key cases recently where these, these companies, have, that data has been leaked out pretty substantially, right? So it's not like you've got to be terrified of that, but you should, should be aware. They've got all this data about you. People can buy it. Like that, that's what, what's the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica, um, or Cambridge An- Analytica, right? Did I get that right? The, the, that was the, the um, where, where Facebook had all this user data and this company got access to that data and was using it to, to target stuff. And, and they say like, like the winners of elections can be based on this kind of stuff. So any little bit that we can do to eliminate this is 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 helping the overall project so so again like people will say uh trump got elected in 2016 because of facebook or some people will say he didn't get elected in 2020 based on facebook right whatever angle you take you're, you're gonna blame facebook no one doubts that facebook had something to do with the outcome of the last couple u.s presidential elections right and so um yeah yes angela oh sorry jim you go first If you're signed into the same account? So like at work, for example, on Friday, I searched up First Nations on my work computer. I never do any work things on my phone at all. So I was looking up a product to buy First Nations. I went home, looked on Facebook, and it's like, Powell, the First Nations. Yeah. I've never once ever seen that on my phone ever before. 
So some, there is somehow something once where you would have signed into a same account or there's something there where it's through a cookie, it's accessing it. Whether you had logged into Facebook once for something and it, something like that. And, uh, and it's using that, that, those, those cookies that we talked about, which cookies are great, they're helpful, but it's, it's one of the ways that they, they do this kind of thing. Ange. So using our, like uh, leisure, for example. So I find, for example, watching a movie can be a wonderful form of leisure where I, I, I've, it's been a busy week, I need to rest. But if I'm going to do that, I'm going to be thinking about what movie am I watching, what kind of content is in it, why am I watching it? And, 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 what, and typically I try to choose movies that have either some great aesthetic value that, that, that has something beautiful about it, that has a moral that's going to kind of grab me, that tells a story that's important. Okay, so you, you should be thinking about that. Would, most of the time, like, so times that I've wasted time on the internet, if I had made the decision on the front end, okay, I got some time, it's been a busy week, I got a bit of time this evening to rest, it's important for me to rest so that I can be in top shape to love my family and my church, I'm going to spend 45 minutes scrolling through this social network and arguing with strangers. I wouldn't have made that decision, right? So I just think the more proactive we can be. This is one of the great things for time limits. So like I have like, no, I barely use Facebook on my phone, but I think I have a five-minute timer on it. So I can just go, you know what, brainless, five-minute, whatever, but it caps it off at that point so it doesn't turn into more. So. What you're also talking about is avoiding thoughtlessness, period, we, we need to be deliberate about what we're doing at every point. Even if what we're doing is, is letting the dog off the leash, which let, mentally speaking, we need to be deliberate about what we're doing that with and for how long and why. So a- absolutely. Deliber- being deliberate is, is, is huge. We've got to wrap this up. This is, this is so important, though, guys, and these are really big things. I feel bad that, again, we just, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy we got all the material in. But yes, Edge. Can I just ask one question? Please. Please. There are so many questions. I know. Let's talk about this later. People to be more balanced in their thinking, let's say even politically. So you're talking about these digital bubbles where we're only getting fed what we're supposed to learn. I'm going to talk about this next week. Oh, good. You should go read news from the site that you disagree with. Okay, are you going to give examples? Yes. I, next, so next week we're talking all about that side of, of things. Very specifically how to practice discernment with our information. So come on back next week. There's, I'm sure there's things you want to talk about. Please come chat, chat with me uh, and other people. Let's talk. Uh, let's, for the sake of time, we've got to wrap this up, guys. My apologies, but uh, let's keep the conversation going. Let, let's pray to close this up. Father, I pray you'd help us to be discerning. I pray you'd help us to be wise. And I pray that you'd help uh, this practical knowledge we've, we've gleaned this morning to help us be wise in the way that we use this tool called the internet. And, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks everyone. Again, I mean that. Please feel free to chat with me about this stuff some more. <laughs>